hello everyone uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast today my guest is tahir noah he is an architect at charles kore foundation and in today's podcast we're going to discuss about the various activities and initiatives that charles kore foundation has taken part in over the years and also some uh, recent events on the kala academy some updates on those as well um so as you might have already heard that uh, there was initially some threats on kala academy that the building was to be demolished and a new construction would take place but now that has been temporarily kept on hold as i believe or has been it, it has been reversed altogether but more on that from our guest today which is uh, tahir tahir so thank you so much for uh, doing this episode with me today uh, so looking forward for our conversation yeah sorry this got pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed but yeah good way finally speaking yes yes uh, so actually i think i'm going to uh, right away uh, ask you this question can you like tell me a little bit about the inception of charles kore foundation when was it established and what kind of things that charles kore foundation does yeah so basically what happened is that in the uh, in in the late like around 2011 or so 2010 2011 charles kore stopped taking commercial projects at his firm and started winding down his uh, professional practice and at that time he was only taking a few consulting projects on large urban or regional planning uh, schemes and one of them was the regional plan for goa which uh, at that time the chief minister of goa actually through people specifically wanted charles korea to do is is uh, what i've heard so he was brought on as the vice chairman of the ta- of the task force to draw the regional plan for goa and charles had worked on many uh, major planning projects but he felt that working on goa's regional plan was a little different because uh, goa has a very strong activist culture and uh, it's also got a high a high general education around so he found that there were a lot of people and he's written about this also very interestingly who had ideas on what they wanted to do uh, but they lacked the means to turn those ideas into something that would be a viable project per se so he he figured that also at the same time most of the major cities in india have some sort of a technical advocacy for uh, running projects you know bombay has got many uh, urban design ngos ba- bangalore has quite a few uh, delhi has a very strong uh, fraternity of architects plus many major institutions like intac and all are there uh, what happens to smaller cities of india they don't have somebody to really uh project their voice and so uh from that line he said the best place to pilot something for a smaller city in india would be in panji in panjim in goa and uh so he set up the foundation here in 2011 that's interesting and uh, he used to also live there right for a certain period of time during his career uh yes uh so his his father originally came from goa but he was a central government employee uh and so charles was born in hyderabad Uh, and uh, moved around the whole country for many years he himself only got a house in goa in the late 80s when a goan builder had approached him to design these row villas and charles designed the first one for himself it's actually a very very pretty house uh, so then towards towards his later years when he became old he used to like coming down to goa and staying in that uh, staying in the vera house lovely and 
after he uh, had this initiative uh, through look at a larger urban scale projects uh, what is the current state of uh, those projects uh, have they kick started or they are are they in still research phase uh, what what is uh, the, the things going on right now okay so so we've had a mixed response to to many of our projects uh, some of our projects have got picked up like we developed a heritage policy for panjim city which got picked up by the town planning department and which is presently being enforced uh, of course a lot of people have pointed out that there are uh, there are still gaps within that conservation policy uh, there are buildings that we've missed but it it was still a start from a city that had no conservation policy to identify a conservation zone to identify these 300 conservation sites in that and to see what you can do what you can't do with that so some projects like that have been picked up other projects have been picked up but used in a wrong way so uh this is an interesting one we had done a decongestion model for panjim city again uh, where we where we tried to promote these smaller hop on hop off buggies and the government accepted the report made a big announcement and then finally the hop on hop off bus they introduced was a completely different double decker a tourist kind of a hop on hop off bus which didn't suit the purpose and then uh, and they had a big uh, a big press conference charles korea foundation have given us this recommendation we really liked it here here's the inauguration of the buses and we were like no these are not the buses we wanted uh, but uh, many some of our projects have just got, got derailed you know because people people in power have mis either misinterpreted the the intention or not gone through the reports properly uh, recently our most recent project that got uh, got Uh, actualized is the signage policy for panjim we did it in two parts uh, one was a commercial signage policy so we we basically ensure we basically put down strict guidelines that any uh, sign any any commercial sign in the city has to follow certain regulations otherwise they won't be given permission this this project uh, the the guidelines and all took a year getting it through the municipal council uh, took Four years. We finally got it through in two thousand and nineteen. That too, with so many stipulations. So the negotiation we finally reached was that okay, your policy is very good. It will make the city good, but we don't want to lose our elections. So here's what we're going to do: a new building that comes up in the city, that building will have to follow. But if if you have an old building, then we won't enforce. So there are two buildings in the city which are following our signage policy, which is quite pathetic, especially because Panjim's already like completely built. Uh, there are no more open plots in the municipal area. So the other thing worked out quite well. We did a traffic signage policy, traffic and information signage policy. We we identified all the locations of the existing signs, all those which were. redundant we knocked off we proposed a few more signs where activists and police thought they were needed that was that was more just a uh, just consulting for the city uh, so that's our most recent completed project that got implemented in some way right no it's interesting that you say that because uh, uh, you're an architect and a lot of these uh, uh, not only just deal with architecture but and urban design but also there's some uh, legal processes behind it and there's technical agreement so what how is the how is the composition or how is the um, foundation formed is it like a group of architects and legal advisors or how do you go about you know certain technicalities ha huh, so so for that uh, we 
we really work with the municipality staff mainly for all of these things we have a couple of lawyers who we speak to once in a while but uh, uh, i i mean it's mainly administrators who know okay what is a notification how do you remove a signboard how do you add a signboard and it's also very much getting involved in the political side of things so so you have to deal with the bureaucracy and you have to deal with the politics and that's where we we're all architects in the foundation there's me and then there are two younger architects who are fellows who come on a one year uh, contract and they do a little bit of independent research but they also work on our projects uh, sort of like a 60 40 break up and then we have our director nandita korea who's uh, who's an architect and a teacher she spends most of her time in america but uh, every two months she comes down for a for like three weeks or so to india just to ensure smooth running of the foundation we have an advisory committee which consists of a few uh, local architects who have a lot of experience and a lot of pull and we have a board of trustees which includes a few born industrialists and uh, bigger indian architects and engineers so those guys mainly just look at the that the foundation has money to function and and like if there's any major systematic change our advisory committee the executive committee they help us with more complicated technical aspects of the project and sometimes they help with a little bit of pushing from the political side but really this is where i think our professional training as an architect comes out because one thing that we as architects become good at is uh is being able to convince and explain and break down rather complex ideas and speak to people and that is very important when you're doing these type of public projects because uh it's very 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 difficult to convince for example the councillors they are not going to listen to anything new because to them it threatens their existence since it's actually formed by it's, it's, there's a lot of legitimacy behind it and then there's a good solid backing also uh, but people who are interested in working in charles korea foundation who want to apply what 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 do you guys uh, look for like when you're hiring an intern or maybe a researcher or a fellow uh, what's the process like and what is uh, what do you look for those um, the qualities or the kind of uh, prerequisites that uh, is needed that's an interesting question because we do get a lot of applications first of all the first thing we look for is please visit our website look at the careers page and apply when there is a vacancy don't apply when there isn't a vacancy because we can't take you and uh, when there isn't a vacancy we're just going to ignore your mail we no, we always have one vacancy in the summer and one vacancy in the winter this is a good tip for people so from late may and a uh, kind of october november start looking at our website in the career page because there will be a fellows vacancy open at that time our fellows have a six month overlap with one another so that there's smooth transition so one one will work from december to jan and the other one will work from june till may mm. that way that way also our working process continues st- steadily uh so that's the first thing the second thing is for us writing skills become very important research and writing skills are very important so we always ask for a writing sample which is like something from a academic paper that you've done before a, a college report or anything and we also ask you to write an essay on some topic that uh, we think may be a little more topical this time 
that's very important for us. And the third thing is because we are engaged in a lot of publications, uh, one's not so much one's architectural design. We're not looking for that because that we think can be a pretty much uh, inspired enough from the Charles Curie archives that one can learn to follow a certain architectural style, but, but very, very much somebody's graphic design style because that is more inherent in you and that needs to fit our larger graphic style in some way or the other. So it is very subjective when we hire people, but these, these are broadly the three things that the three skills that we look for. Right. So uh, I also actually want to ask about your journey and your association with the foundation. So when have you joined? How did this whole uh, journey start and uh, how has it been going so far? So since my I studied in Goa and since my college days, I've been attending lectures, volunteering for the foundation whenever they needed something, because uh, I always thought that it was doing interesting work in the urban realm. And uh, I felt like there was a good opportunity to learn stuff. So they, I remember in my second year, they were doing a heritage list, this heritage policy for Panjim. That time I volunteered, I just went around the whole city clicking photos of old structures, uh, simple stuff like that. And they used to interact a lot with the college, especially in my earlier years. Uh, and their talks were always good. So I, I used to be a regular attendee at their events. Uh, then around 2018, they advertised for an architectural researcher and I applied to that position. And um, and it was interesting because uh, in one way, there was a lot of freedom to work on things that you were interested on. And at the other time, uh, there is a, the, the foundation's a good platform also to uh, to get things done if you're ready to work because like you said it has quite a lot of credibility at least in the local uh, area so if so me being a resident of the city I, I had also a lot of ideas on how to improve my city and the foundation always has activists dropping by giving some idea uh, somebody from the government also sometimes will come will say like will come and ask us oh do an Anganwadi for us or give us some ideas for this, give us some ideas for that. So it's a great place uh, if you can find the time to push certain uh, pro-people projects, which was something that I have always had an interest in social work. So I really got into this. And, uh, and the thing is, when you have one activist, she'll bring another activist next time. Uh, they keep bringing in more and more people and then the foundation becomes this lovely space where people can come and tell you a problem and you can try your best to fix their problem. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, but apart from that, the foundation is also uh, being engaged in a various number of activities. And I also want to ask, you know, list down and have some insights from you what all the other activities the foundation is doing. Um, the foundation has workshops, they host competitions and many other stuff. So can you just uh, tell us the various uh, activities that the foundation does? So basically, we we ha we work on four uh, verticals. Yeah, One is projects, which are basically the urban projects that I spoke about. The second is research and publications. For our research and publications, we mainly look at Charles Correa's uh, work, but also a little bit on just uh, post-independence architecture in India. And we, we do a few books, publications, 
to try and raise more awareness on post independence architecture in india the third vertical that we look at is uh, what we call public forum this is where most of our activities are public forum also has two has two subdivisions one of them is awareness so for awareness one of our major project that we started last year is a film competition called nagri it's going to be run every year it's an excellent opportunity for people who are interested in making films because it's a it's not a competition per se we give you a grant and we'll link you up with a mentor who is an experienced documentary filmmaker who's interested in urban issues and uh, and then you if you're selected for the nagri grant get some money get a mentor and can work on a film and then from among the 12 15 films that we finally do shortlist and get made a uh, two films can win an award uh, so that's a very interesting project there is another charity in bombay called at chandra foundation who have given us a lot of support in conceptualizing and executing this project we are going to announce it in june this year and if anybody who's watching is interested in film or urban issues or awareness this is a great opportunity for us as architects to uh, kind of use our skills to simplify complex issues and make our make make our technical knowledge more available to people uh, around the country the other major public forum activities we do one of them is the z axis conference we do it every two years uh, it's normally again on a architectural or urban topic uh, and we try and get international speakers to speak about that topic uh, for the last three times it was held in kala academy but uh, last year because of the pandemic we held it online uh, we get a good response for that project and it's actually one of our major fundraising initiatives of how the foundation actually functions is the money that we earn from the z axis conference from from fees and etc actually helps us function over that year because it's an enormous amount of work uh this year because it was online we we clubbed the conference with a con- with a competition because in a physical conference you at least get to network meet other like minded architects or planners or lawyers or anybody we get a nice variety of people attending also but uh normally you get people who are interested in urban issues coming to the z axis not necessarily people who are interested in the work of this architect or work of that architect it's more of an issue centric conference which is also something i have liked very much in the format that we follow uh so you get but but we couldn't do that this year so we did this competition and this competition had a great response people came up with amazing ideas on how to improve their cities and now we are trying to look for funding to help some of these people get those projects executed that's very interesting and uh, i think i believe i was following up on uh, the conference and the workshops last year it was on your neighborhood uh, mm-hmm. and uh, this i've also read that this is actually the thesis project of uh, charles courier when he was charles. In- yes yeah, so when so- charles was doing his masters in mit uh, he he was actually first approached by uh, one of his professors was approached by the uh, by the department of housing of the state he was studying in to to do to make an awareness film on housing and uh, he he knew that charles loved films so he asked charles if he wanted to make this film charles said can i plug this into my thesis because my thesis on urban renewal so uh, can we can we speak about you know social housing and urban renewal together so his professor 
uh, kind of facilitated a meeting. The department were very excited by it. Charles got a bunch of his friends to to help, uh, and he drew most of the stills himself. It's it's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. It's called You and Your Neighborhood. It's a wonderful film because it was made uh, six seven decades ago, and it's still so relevant today. It's it's something that I think everybody needs to watch because it it makes a few simple points how people need to make space and how uh, how space can get ruined how cities grow how cities decay and what we can do to improve our cities. Absolutely, and uh, there's this always this connection that uh, Charles has always loved uh, filmmaking and uh, he used to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, why can't uh, film schools and architecture schools come together? Why can't you know different disciplines like those come together? And he found that relevance in those different uh, disciplines as well. Um, somewhere I've also read that uh, he had this um, uh, wish or desire that he wanted to start his own school of architecture. Uh, is that is that true? Do, do you know anything about that? This is something I don't know anything okay. about. Okay. Uh, I know he used to like teaching. He he's taught and he used to take take lectures at many schools he in india out of india he was on the board of studies of many schools and he would get actively involved so oh another thing we've started this year which we've not yet officially announced but maybe by the time your podcast goes live it will be announced is charles in 2001 had incorporated a medal for uh, for one outstanding student's work called the charles korea gold medal uh, it was only restricted to mumbai university and Goa College of Architecture. But this year we have taken over the administration of the medal and we are opening it out to many, many more schools uh, around the country. Not all schools right now, but uh, we are reaching out to the schools we are already interacting with through our student ambassador programs and other programs uh, because we we don't know how it is to administer and run this medal. So for us, it's a trial and error, but this is something else that Charles wanted to do for students of architecture and uh, give them some exposure. He was always he was always uh, interested in the pedagogy of architectural education, but he was also very interested in the role that practitioners play. Yes. And also you've mentioned uh, this uh, student ambassador program, which has also been relative, relatively uh, a very recent initiative that you're reaching out to uh, students from different colleges and they're actually uh, acting as this bridge uh, to so, to um, inform, uh, you know, and uh, spread awareness of what the foundation is doing and uh, how to collaborate further with students across the country in architectural schools. Uh, so people who have not already uh, been registered or had an opportunity to sign up as a student ambassador, what can they do to, you know, reach out? Uh, we would appreciate if the schools, either at student council or the head, better if the head of the department, head of the school writes to us. Uh, and says like we are interested in your student ambassador program and this is the student that we have selected who can be the ambassador the student should preferably be a young dynamic student leader the idea behind the ambassador program is uh, really we have noticed when we we started looking at our analytics in 2019 and uh, we don't have a very good reach with architecture students which is quite weird because every architecture student I know Almost everyone idealizes Charles Korea. 
but most of our audience for our events for our workshops have always been professionals practicing architects so we thought like this is a great audience where we can influence but we are not doing enough to maybe understand why what how how we can work with them how we can come in how we can get more student engagement on our uh, activities so yeah so this has been our push recently and i also want to bring up this uh, the archivals uh, that the foundation has uh, this is actually available as a subscription that universities and students and professionals can also um, apply and uh, like uh, uh go through his drawings his writings his photographs of the buildings and a huge collection a huge well archive so can you give a little bit about this how uh, uh, what's the scale of these archivals and how they can be used so so there are 15000 drawings writings uh, of more than 180 projects on that archive software uh, it's actually quite sad because we have an office policy which says we can't share Uh, Charles Kuria's drawings with students, and every week we get five or six students writing and asking for information on city center for case study, information on Kovalam resort for case study, and uh, we can't give that information out because it for what one thing that Charles Kuria thought was, uh, and even our advisory committee thinks is that the colleges have to take interest, the colleges have to subscribe to these archives, and then when the college subscribe to archives, they get. they get an access to all of these drawings because uh, a lot of uh, good things hello hello can happen if the type because it's not uh, such an important teaching uh, aid tahe can i uh, i think i lost you for just 30 seconds can uh, you go back a little bit okay yeah, yeah yeah so i was saying that it's it's pretty sad that we can't share archival drawings with students and really that colleges need to be more proactive we have very few colleges in india who have subscribed to archives around 35 colleges in the out of 500 colleges have subscribed to archives so that's pretty sad we get more subscriptions from researchers who are doing their phd's internationally than from schools of architecture in india and and i think that's a really pitiful thing because the students are writing in every week asking for data on charles kuria's projects and we have to say no ask your school to subscribe no ask your school to subscribe because if the school have access to 190 projects the school will have much more uh, much more data and then just just the common projects like city center jawar kala kendra uh, kanchanjunga will not be the only projects students will study right students will see a bunch of other unbuilt and built projects which go along with those ideas you can take your uh, research much further you can look at unique case studies instead of everybody doing a case study of kanchanjunga so we are really really trying hard to push the archives uh and if anybody who is involved with the college is watching this please do check out our archive subscription and sign up absolutely it's uh, it's well archived and uh, i think that's really important because we don't really value uh, the work that architects do in india and then we don't end up archiving those works and then it's it's just lost all and i think we, lost. we don't value uh, a digital digital uh, information yet in in the same way that we value books so schools order all of our books but uh, but like to understand the value of what a software gives 
it doesn't make the same sense to whoever the administrators are in the school or whoever the management are in the school i'm not sure where this breakdown happens because uh and and to me now as teaching moves remote what's the point of having a thousand books in your college library if the students can't access those thousand books but every student can log into the archives if the college subscribes and at least they can see a hundred projects of charles absolutely yeah. absolutely and it's good i i think uh, the, this has been been readily available and made available to everyone whereas if you want to study someone else's architecture in india you, that, that that's not available it, no one has really bothered to you know document and archive um, their work so uh, this has been a really good initiative and i think really people should look into this furthermore uh, but also speaking of archival work there are some other projects which have not been archived and on the website you've listed them um, the foundation has listed them down some unidentified projects which are somewhere in india but we don't know where they are so uh, what, what can you talk a little bit about that uh that's an interesting case so actually there were many projects uh, we found quite a few of them through just people well wishers and volunteers who write in but uh, charles korea also was wanted to archive certain projects projects that he felt maybe that he was able to see through 100% and the most interesting project that was never archived by us is the stadium in amdavad which has now got a got a grant from the world monuments fund to renovate it it's a huge amount of money that's coming in from the world monument fund and from getty foundation and it's one of the first major conservation projects to post independence architecture in india uh this stadium was never documented in our archives i mean never put up on the archive software now we had all the data but it was never put up in in the archives and i think uh, from what i from what i know speaking to charles korea's family he was never really satisfied with the end project there were too many arguments with the clients and then he felt the clients were not maintaining the project well uh so he he was never proud to speak about the building and now the building is getting so much of international attention that we are super proud of the building so we are now updating our archives to add information about this sardar patel stadium but like that there are many projects where either something went wrong or korea may not have been the architect the entire time so when i went to delhi i met one person through mrs korea mrs datta who Charles had done the initial design for her house but then he had kind of let it go and uh, and then another person another architect local architect had come in and got the house built so charles like so so she tells everyone like my house is designed by charles but uh, charles never put it in his archive because he felt maybe that the house was not 100% designed by him so like that there are many many more as and when i travel now I try to speak to Mrs. Monica Korea, who's Charles's widow, and try and get information. Monica, were there any clients in this city? Oh yes, I had this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And then I say, okay, I've been to A, B, C, D, but I've not been to these two. Can you introduce? And if they are, and she's been very, very helpful with this because her me- her memory for an eighty eighty plus year old is amazing. She remembers every client. She's still in contact with so many of the clients. I think that's so wonderful that uh, she was so involved also in the running of the of the office and in the and taking the projects beyond so she's been really really pulling this documentation what we call the korea map project yes trying to map all of charles korea's projects 
Yes. and i found it very fascinating and very useful as well uh, you can actually wherever you are in the country you can actually locate uh, his projects wherever they are and it's marked in the map mm. and there've also some buildings which are mentioned in the website that these buildings have not been identified yet and if anyone can reach out to you guys uh, that will be wonderful because there are a couple of more buildings which are yet to be found um, or to know its whereabouts there is also one such building i think also in hyderabad uh a chemical battery factory if i'm uh yes mm. so that was one of his earliest projects yes. those uh, factories industrial ones yeah. i doubt it still stands but yes. we don't we don't know anything about yes. it yes. so we just said like yeah anybody's heard of this absolutely and there are also uh um a few uh, projects which he has been initially on it but then has discontinued because lot of maybe bureaucratic problems or you know going back and one such project was actually the budpurnima project in uh, hyderabad as well uh, around the, the husain sagar lake yes. uh, which which would yes. have been a beautiful project if it had been executed as per charles courier's vision uh, but then you know it went back and forth with lot of uh, municipal um, bureaucrats and it never took place so but also charles courier had a particular kind of preference because he was getting uh, quite a, a good number of projects annually and then uh, and he was really uh, busy with uh, the mumbai uh, the bombay um, uh, uh, the municipal prog- uh, project that he had over there uh, that was yeah, and, and and i think that one thing that he did have the privilege to do which more and more architects don't is he was he was always ready to say no to a project that yes. he felt he didn't have full control or full authorship on which uh, now more and more is kind of uh, you don't have architects who can do that because there are too many maybe there's too many architects and there's uh, not enough projects going around but yeah this was something that so if you speak to many of korea's clients they'll say like he with him it was almost like my way or the highway he he was he was very headstrong with uh with his design and uh he would he would say like you're hiring me as a professional to give you a solution so when it comes to solutions to your design problems you give me a problem and i will solve the problem then you decide if you liked the solution or not this is this is what i have heard from a few former clients true and also it, um i i can't recall another architect of his generation who was uh, as involved in advocacy in being part of uh, advisory boards in po- being part of in close uh, association with the municipalities uh, how important is that because uh, i think that's where a lot of things actually fall in place if uh, we have to think at a larger urban scale but post charles curry i can't really uh, think of another architect who has taken it to that extent where they have collaborated and successfully been able to collaborate with the uh, higher municipal authorities so two of the architects who get a little less spoken about but who also are very active in advocacy from my reading have been pilumodi and balla yes who have also been pushing very hard uh, to get things done uh through the politicians through many other ways but yeah korea after korea it's really like this is something even i feel as a personal not not as an employee of charles korea foundation but one thing charles korea did do was in some way he was a celebrity architect which nobody else was yeah he was the only architect who was a household name 
in india and he used that privilege to benefit the profession as a whole so vistara is maybe the best example he planned an exhibition on indian architecture the first time it was ever done he convinced the prime minister to fund the whole thing and not just fund it in india he took it around the world speaking about indian architecture all at the cost of the indian government uh, at a time where nobody in india even knew what is architecture this was this was one thing that charles korea tried to push very hard which you know after his passing i think we are not doing hard enough is nobody speaking about what is architecture anymore we still are at more or less the same per percentage of population who hire an architect and the others who and and with more than 90% of the built work in the country happening in the absence of a professional so this was something that i think charles korea really put his soul into was just trying to and then and then vice versa he tried to get architects more involved in uh, civil issues so he would always keep good relations with his former staff and every time there was an urban project he would call one of them up and say come help me with this i need your advice i need you to design the street i need you to do this i need you to do that uh, and he would give he would give his former staff work but he would more or less give his former staff urban work because he had the platform to get the urban work and he would try his best to get that urban work done through uh, through uh, architects who had a good mind good vision he also set up two urban design initiatives one of them is rccf but much before he started the urban design research institute udri in bombay which has been working for over 3 decades now i think on improving city issues in bombay so interesting that you brought that up i just wanted to ask what are the clear distinct differences between that uh, research um, uh, initiative and between charles korea foundation what was the sole purpose behind that and because both of these were uh, um, were founded by charles korea uh, so the udri was founded specifically to find urban design solutions for the mega cities of india and specifically to execute and implement uh, improvements in bombay while uh, and bombay in itself is a environment a microcosm of its own like you, what what works in bombay can't be applied anywhere else in india because it's a mega city of a different different proportion itself uh the charles korea foundation was set up more to work with the smallest work using panjim as a platform to show ways to work in smaller cities and to kind of uh kind of and then after his passing we took on another major role as part of our documenting modern heritage to safeguard his archives because we are at the end of the day a foundation in his name uh so it's it's very much part of our mandate to uh not only do urban work but also to be stakeholders in protecting his architectural legacy absolutely true and very recently also there has been a, i think it's been a two month initiative of reinterpreting uh, charles korea's work and uh, you've asked people uh, on social media platforms to you know uh, you know share graphical works of his uh, drawings in a in in a much more illustrated manner uh, so okay also can you like plug in a little bit about that uh yes we've been working on this book on charles korea 
and we've been redrawing a lot of his drawings and uh, we found it quite interesting you know just the process of taking a drawing trying to represent it with because these were presentation drawings made in the 70s 80s how how do we make them uh, how do we present them in our sensibilities how do we do analytical drawings when we only have working drawings and presentation drawings uh so it's been a fun process for us we thought more people would have fun with it and we'd also have a nice interesting we have a good platform on our social media we could show people's work to more to more of our following absolutely and is is it open ended is there like a particular format that you are expecting or how how is this no you can just send in and if we think it's nice we'll we repost it otherwise we're planning to we've not got a very good response for it i think because it involves people doing work <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but so far a lot of good ones as well hmm the 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 ones that we've got we've got quite a few very nice ones people yeah. have people who have worked have worked very hard to mm. put together some yeah. ideas yeah. and you see the project in a new light when someone else draws it yes yes absolutely Uh, i also want to like uh, sh- shift focus a little bit on the current situation of kala academy which has been in the news in the uh, has been buzzing in the news for quite a time right now uh, there were uh, proposals to demolish that building can you just tell us why that proposal even came up in the first place yeah so uh, okay briefly i'll i'll tell you the whole story yes. okay in 2018 a piece of the false ceiling fell down on top of a person okay and that person filed a complaint saying that the structure slab collapsed on top of me okay because of that to the the kala academy the, okay the kala academy is also slightly complicated uh, bureaucratically it is an autonomous institute but it's but it's not financially sustainable so it it survives on funds from the ministry of art and culture government of goa therefore the minister of art and culture is the is the chairman of the kala academy so the kala academy is supposed to be an independent institution but because it's so financially dependent on art and culture department uh, the minister of art and culture really calls all the shots in kala academy so this complaint this complainant must have been connected politically the minister got it the minister panicked he commissioned uh, the goa engineering college to do a structural report and find out why the slab fell down the goa engineering college did a structural audit report and they found that uh, certain slabs of the building are in a really perilous condition and i can i can confirm that what their that their report has been done scientifically and their recommendations are correct the, that the slabs are in a really bad state now uh, they had recommended to why are the slabs in a bad state in the first place because kala academy's maintenance over the last uh, since since 1985 when it was built 1983 when it was built every they put a course of waterproofing on top of all of the slabs as they would do because this is we get solid monsoon rain in goa uh 10 years from there the waterproofing failed but there but uh, rajiv gandhi was visiting goa in 92 so you know what they did they had 3 months to to make the changes they uh put another layer of waterproofing on top of the failed layer of waterproofing In two thousand and four, there was the International Film Festival of India. Again, leakage problems were happening in Kala Academy. Uh, again, they had six or seven months to to do stuff. What they did is they changed. At that time, they did a lot of stuff. They changed a lot of the acoustics. 
uh, a lot of the space, a little bit of the space arrangements to make it more uh, feasible for film. Kala Academy has always been more feasible for performance arts and music and dance, but they made a few changes to the to the services, to the spaces to make it also work as this hub for film. At that time, again, due to lack of time, what they did a third layer of waterproofing on top of two failed layer of layers of waterproofing. Now, when you have a failed layer of waterproofing, it's 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 behaving like nothing more than a sponge. Now you have two failed layers of waterproofing, which are already wet because nobody scraped them off. They've soaked in water. You've put an impervious layer on top of that. What happens? Where did the water go? The water has to seep down. The water seeps down into a slab. It corrodes the steel. The steel is corroded and the slab is overloaded because now there's almost at least from anything from one foot to one and a half foot of non-performing waterproofing layers on top of a 12-inch slab. Uh, so you can imagine how overloaded the structure is. So the, the engineers from the engineering college, when they were asked what's the simplest solution for this, they said, no, you have to break down all these slabs and put them again. We have an indoor auditorium, which is booked up 280 to 290 days a year. And it's generating a real amount of revenue for Color Academy. It is a much loved indoor auditorium. We have an outdoor amphitheater, which is only active for four months in the whole year. because And, and that too only in the evenings because the summer sun is too hot. The uh, monsoon rains go on for six months. And then we have unseasonal rains and other things. And, uh, and the other concern that we had is once a building is knocked down, what guarantee does one have that it's going to be rebuilt in the same way? Because end of the day, everyone's looking for a project to build their name on. Our poor minister of art and culture, art and culture is not a very uh, big department, nor is it a department where one can get many projects to put in one's name, you know, and everybody wants to, I can understand the, uh, the need also to, to show some development so that you get reelected. And, and so it was very much in his interest to do, to do something to Color Academy, make it do some upgradation. We made a big scene. We got a lot of help from the architectural fraternity, but also from the local Goans when we floated an online petition. And uh, for almost, we also took the, the High Court of Goa actually picked up the case on its own and we got involved in there. Uh, we brought in experts from IIT Madras, which is the best uh, college in India for foundations from that side. and. Uh, all in all, things then sort of just came to a standstill. We were informed that we were informed that uh, that because of COVID, the state can't do anything. Uh, then suddenly, when the budget was announced for Goa, they put aside fifty crore to upgrade Kala Academy, and we don't know where this fifty crore is going. We uh, we have been assured that it's going towards doing the same repairs that, your, that, that our IIT experts had recommended. But uh, from the estimates that we had got and we had made, and, and we've even shared our, our recommendations to other senior civil engineers, nobody estimates that this work is going to cost 50 crore. The highest estimate we got was around 11, 12 crore. So, uh, so where is the money going? This is one big concern because, and, and as soon as they start work, which they have in fact, and uh, they are doing it very quietly, nobody knows what's happening. 
we don't know who the consultant is they've hired some architect from bombay we don't know who the engineer is we don't know if the engineer has any experience in working with corroded concrete we don't know what they're going to do and what we do know is that the pwd minister has come out in public and said that we are going to put hundreds of people on site because we want to finish it by november for this year's international film festival of india and this is what we have been screaming not to do because it needs severe repairs and every time the repairs have been done in the past they've been done in a in a hurried way and it's because they do the repairs in a hurried way the repairs are cosmetic and not structural and our pwd minister is going out there and telling everyone that we're going to do it really fast and we're going to do it really fast and this is what we've been screaming not to do he's telling everyone we're spending 50 crore because we're doing it very fast but a work like this needs to be done very carefully very slowly before any work starts there needs to be a conservation management plan which uh, the gujarat government has seen and realized in the ahmedabad stadium but which our goa government has not realized in the kala academy they think that whoever their engineer is is the best possible person and there's no public consultation it was the public of goa who made such a big noise that uh, that the court got involved that the government got scared but now the now now the only reach, outreach to the public is our pwd ministers coming on the news and telling the public please support us because we have your best interests at hand and the public are asking him to please tell us your plan and there he's there he's very quiet conveniently quite a quite a history to it in fact uh, so many stuff uh, happening and, and, and it's, it's it's really and and it's quite annoying i feel because it's like a back and forth with no real sense of resolution the people of goa don't know what's happening we don't know what's happening the only people who seem to know what the the kala academy themselves claim they don't know what's happening it seems to be the ministry of art and culture and the ministry of pwd who know everything and they're the only people who know everything and really, this type of public building should never be done in private absolutely this is, this is the core argument a public building any work to a public building has to have the public in confidence you can't start work and then ask the public to support you you have to convince the public why the project is good see we know at least from i visited kalak at me 3 days ago and i saw they have started to scrape off the the bad waterproofing excellent excellent this is the kind of repair that we need but uh, so you know they may also be planning the right things but they need to explain what they are doing before starting work so and and we need to know exactly what they're doing they may be scraping off the non performing waterproofing now but then what if they knock down the slab and change the slope of the amphi or something we don't know later because nothing's in the public domain absolutely now uh, when you say they're scraping the waterproofing layer off or are they lifting the walls off too or how how are they doing it no they are they're taking they're basically just taking horizontal breakers and mm. uh, scraping off all of the waterproofing from the slabs right now mm. and is the is this problem only for the terrace slab or for all the slabs the all the open terrace almost all the open terraces have some or the other uh, overloading waterproofing issue right all the interior ones are in and because of that columns have also started to buckle mm. Mm. beams have started to bend because the structure has been overloaded now for a good since 2004 to 2021 16 years the structure has been severely overloaded 
However, the GEC auditors, like the, the state engineering college people, a private company which the government hired to do an audit and our IIT auditor all said that the structure doesn't need to be demolished. There are still scientific techniques which can repair it. So that is the one good thing that we have. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, from Charles Correa's foundation, what are the next steps that you are doing to ensure that, you know, Kala Academy stays intact? We, we put out a press note to the people of Goa saying like, we've been trying to fight this or at least help the building for the longest time. But really it, it appears that, uh, that, that this is out of our hands and we want, like we, we would wish that the people of Goa could also start to demand something more of their institutions. Uh, at the same time, we have filed a couple of RTIs on the PWD department and the Ministry of Art and Culture to try and get to know what is the scope of work. Then we can study that scope of work and say what is needed, what is not needed. Uh, people in the government have assured us that this is just a 50 crore project, but um, the money will be used slowly for annual maintenance contracts and for all of these things. But we said, show us a paper with this. You phoning up and telling our uh, advisory committee member, sir, don't worry. This 50 crore is for a 20-year management plan, management of the building. It's not the same as getting it in writing that this is our assurance. And uh, in a, and as we move more and more, and with all of these, I don't know how to say, yeah, these these kind of backhanded tactics of suddenly starting work without telling anyone, suddenly putting it in the budget without any notice. Uh, you don't know if, if the assurances given by these people are going to stand in the future. Absolutely. You can't say anything. Like, yeah, we it needs to be written and they're not giving anything in writing. So, uh, I don't know. Absolutely. Um, just as the foundation is right now, I do hope things turn out well for Kala Academy. It's also one of our modern heritage. And uh, the current state of um, uh, recent attacks in the last five years, uh, we have seen a lot of uh, things like this in the, uh, in you know, when it comes to the Hall of Nations or recently the threats on uh, Louis Kahn's dormitory buildings and now also on Kala Academy. Um, I want to like finally wrap it up on this question where uh, how, how do we upkeep our modern heritage? Because uh, this just seems to be one after another and uh, how does is this an initiative that Charles Curry Foundation is also thinking with respect to other uh, buildings across uh, India of his work? Yeah. I think the first thing that India needs is legislation to protect and identify modern heritage. You see, in India right now, from our research, all our heritage structures are protected under archaeology acts. And uh, when it's protected by the Central Archaeology Act under the ASI or the State Archaeological Act, under the Department of Archaeologies, uh, when you call something archaeology, as uh, former Chief Planner of India Edgar Ribeiro says, it has to be of a certain age. But everything that is archaeology may be heritage, but everything that's heritage is not archaeology. You have you have this whole thing of preservation areas and conservation areas. What is conservation, and where does conservation come in? Conservation needs to be recognized in the acts, which we don't have. And these acts can be amended at state level, as well as that the center actually doesn't have to get involved. 
in a conservation act because the con- conservation is largely for buildings of regional importance so what we need to do i feel more than anything now is start lobbying our state governments to introduce a for example a telangana conservation act which will go hand in glove with the telangana uh, archaeology ancient monuments and sites act because that's the only way that we can start to protect buildings that aren't of a certain age because we can go on and say oh this we have 20 modern heritage buildings in india the court is going to throw it in the dustbin where does the court see the word heritage associated with any of these buildings with the louis kahn's dormitory with the kala academy with the mahinder raj and raj rewal's building in delhi uh nowhere and and it's not just buildings that are getting demolished it's there are so many buildings which are having major changes made to them so we got to know recently that the kasturba gandhi samadhi which was done by charles in the 1950s in pune is also getting changed a lot by the local authorities without any consultation with the with the with with our original plans and at least with kala academy it's in front of us we can go there once a week and look and see what's happening with the kasturba samadhi we don't know what's happening we just saw a tender online because somebody said have you seen this and we're like oh no and we don't know if the, the tenders apparently tendered out and i don't know if work has started or what but there are so many changes alterations which are being made ad hoc without any concern for the original building and if there was a conservation act that would be one way to stop the buildings from just getting arbitrarily edited so i think we as architects also can use our influence here because all of us have clients clients who can afford an architect are normally clients who have some pull here there uh, we need to start pulling our pull, like banding together as a fraternity and pulling our resources to get this systematic change made because till the time that there is a systematic change in place we can't expect the high court supreme court to do anything to help us it's beyond their mandate definitely a lot of uh, it makes a lot of sense and i think that those are um in, uh, very instrumental things that we need to actually set forth in terms of our legislation um but on that note thank you so much for uh, doing this podcast and sharing so many insights on the foundation and the work that uh, charles corey foundation has been doing over the years um really happy to see uh, it has been uh, coming to like it has been able to achieve the vision that charles corey had when the foundation was established and many more things also apart from that uh, so thank you so much uh, tahir for doing this thanks vivek yeah, yeah. see you